0: Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would use it to challenge us, change us, mold us, make us. We thank you for these moments. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. In the 1970s, it was Richie Cunningham and the Fonz and their friends, 30 minutes later, Laverne and Shirley. Right? Anybody else remember Lenny and Squiggy? Right? Could relate. In the 1980s, we were introduced to Norm and Sam and Woody. They they hung out at a place where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad that you came. In the 90s, there was Phoebe and Joey and Rachel and Chandler, Ross, Monica. Friends, I'll be there for you when the rain starts to pour. I'll be there for you. It's an interesting comment. They, this week, they had in the news that a, a blogger blogged a, a possible alternate ending to the Friends sitcom. Maybe you're aware of it, watched it in the 90s, or maybe you found it in reruns. But these six Friends that they hung out and they, they did life together. Well, the alternate ending that was suggested is Phoebe, the creative one, the, the singer, the gal who loved to talk about Smelly Cat, that, that instead of hanging out with her friends at Central Perk, that it was all a figment of her imagination. And the closing scene, you would see see her peering into the window of Central Perk, seeing these people who had different names and different lives, and she had only imagined the relationship. It probably, in our world today, it probably would be more accurate than what was displayed on television in the sitcom Friends. You see, in the 1980s, on average, we had three close friends. By 2000, in America, the average person had only two people that they could confide in. And over 25% of, of Americans that were polled had no one they could confide in. The simple truth is this, friendship, close friendship is becoming less and less of a commodity in our world even though it's needed more and more. We we love to buy into this lie that, oh, I really don't need friends. I really don't need it, especially in the context of, of the Christian experience. You'll hear people say this all the time. They'll say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Not true. You don't have to go to church to find Jesus. Let me say that again. You don't have to go to church to find Jesus. Those of you that are watching via live stream or those of you that will be seeing this later on television, you don't have to go to church to find Jesus. You can find Jesus right where you're at. You can find Jesus by watching video. But what you can't do is you can't live the life that God has called you to live outside of relationship, outside of koinonia or deep fellowship. It's impossible. God designed you. He he wired you to be a relational being. And it impacts you. It doesn't just impact you spiritually. It also impacts you physically. Ladies, when you're faced with a stressful situation and friends come around you, your body releases a hormone called oxytocin. It is the same hormone that is released, that women, uh, that women experience, that creates that, that, that positive feeling, that mothering feeling when they're nursing a child. The fact of the matter is this. We are physiologically impacted when there are friends around us. Men, listen, we're not exempt from this. When we find ourselves in tough situations, when we find ourselves in stressful situations and there aren't friends around, what it will do is it will cause heightened levels of cortisol. And cortisol has all kinds of negative impacts. It it, it makes you much more susceptible to hypertension. It makes you much more susceptible to hypoglycemia. It causes um, a a weakening of the bone structure. And it also, it causes the, the healing properties when we're physically wounded, it causes those healing properties to take much longer to produce a healing episode. It affects us physiologically when we are not walking in healthy and active, close relationship. I've often said this. I've often said that there are four types of relationships. Cordial, casual, close, and covenant. I realized just this week that I was wrong. That there aren't four types of relationships, there's actually five types of relationships. Because there's a relationship that starts even before that issue of cordial. I was thinking about this. I, uh, I right now, I have 3,225, I think it's 3,225, 3,225 friends on Facebook. I don't know these people. Seriously, probably, probably two thousand eight hundred of them. I don't, I don't know them. And, and those that I do know, I had a friend from the nineteen eighties that poked me on Facebook yesterday. An electronic poke, dude. What do you want? Send me a message. Hey, how are you doing? Listen, when you were my friend back in the 80s, you were a jerk. I really don't like you. Tell me something. Don't just poke me. I don't know what that means. I don't know how to respond, and I'm not comfortable poking you back. (laughs) Or super poke. And I'm not going to throw a cow at you, which you can do on Facebook. I, I just in the last two weeks I, I have yet another social media app on my phone Periscope I I'm, I'm experiencing social media overload. I'm connected with all of these people I really don't know. Facebook calls you my friend. You're not a friend. You're a contact. If you turn on Christian television, you'll hear this oftentimes. People look at you and they'll go, Dear friend, sir, you're not my friend. You don't know me. You've never met me. There are hundreds of you here that I'd love to say that you're my friend. Let me confess this to you. As your pastor, I don't know your name. That's being honest. I I don't know your name. Let me tell you how much that grieves me. It grieves me that I I can't pray for you by name. It it grieves me that I, I don't know what's going on in your life. But even more than that, there are many of you here that not only do I not know your name, but nobody else knows your name. Two weeks ago, somebody filled out one of our connection cards, and here's what they wrote on it. They wrote, I am lonely. Well, I want to tell you two things. Number one, if you're lonely, you've come to the right place. Number two, there's no one here that I don't want to know your name, that I don't want to to know your story. But here's what we have to do for that to take place. Deep relationship cannot happen in a few moments on a Sunday morning. It's impossible This is a reason why the model of the early church is so important that we embrace. Because what they did is they gathered together, large group, and we know the early church was very large, right? We know this because they had thousands of people join in an instant. And so even on those early days, right, Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, even in those early days when the church was growing like crazy and it was very large, oh, I don't want big church. Well, listen, the Bible talks about big church. Big church is not bad if it's done right. And here's how big church works well. They met every day, large group in the temple courts, and they also met house to house. They met in smaller groups as well. And in those smaller groups genuine relationship happened. Not just contact. Moving beyond cordial. Passing through casual to the development of close. As iron sharpens iron, so one sharpens another, the Word of God says. We are to spur one another on to good deeds and good works. Now, here's what I know. I know this. Walk up to a stranger and spur them. That is not going to go well. Right? The idea of a spur, the, the concept of a spur, that speaks to a little bit of pain, doesn't it? Okay, walk up to somebody and not Facebook poke them, but really poke them? I encourage you. Scientific experiment. Go to Mall of Millennia after service this morning. Pick out a stranger and just walk up and just poke them in the chest. You, sir, need to get your life right with Jesus. Report back and let us know how that goes. Even if the person is a Christ follower, they're going to look at you and go, dude, what is your deal? And so, to live out what God has called us to live out, it requires us to do this, not simply with contact or cordial or casual. It needs to be close. God has designed you. He's wired you. Physically. Emotionally. People who have a circle of close friends that go beyond family, let me say that again, people who have a circle of close friends that go beyond family live an average of 22% longer than those who don't. An average of 10 years. Why? Because you're designed, you are wired to be In relationship, it's it's critical. Friendship, it increases our sense of belonging. It increases our sense of purpose. It it boosts our our happiness. It reduces our stress. It improves our sense of self-confidence and self-worth. It helps us cope with traumas such as divorce, serious illness, job loss, or the death of a loved one. Those are statistics from Mayo Clinic. John Yager, author of Friendships, a Ph.D., renowned sociologist, says this, that numerous studies have shown that recovery from a major health challenge, such as a a heart attack or cancer, is significantly enhanced because of friendship. So why, why don't we do friendship? Well... There's a myriad of reasons. One of the biggest reasons is this, is because it didn't work for us before. Because it didn't work for us before. I I can appreciate the fact that some of you are here and you've had a relationship that hasn't gone well. I want you to understand two things. One, I want you to understand that there's amazing power and freedom in forgiveness. In fact, we're going to talk about that in detail next Sunday. We're going to talk about the power of forgiveness. One of the greatest strengths that you can ever experience is the strength that comes when you tap in to the power of forgiveness. Tell am telling you, it's, it's life-changing. It's life-changing, and it's a gift that God gives you. Forgiveness isn't, a, isn't so much the benefit to the person that's being forgiven. The greatest person that experiences benefit in forgiveness is you. When you forever give up the right to hold someone accountable for their actions or their attitudes, well, it's liberating. It's absolutely liberating. But I think the biggest reason why we don't do friendship today is that we perceive ourselves to be far too busy. Well, let me tell you, if you don't do friendship, and those of us that do friendship, that we, we, give, we get 22% more time to live out this life, um, we'll try to say nice things about you when you're gone. We won't know you that well, but we'll still try to say some nice things about you. There's a danger in, in doing life alone. And, and the enemy loves to, to try to, to separate us. Let me give you an example. Uh, in 1 Kings, the 19th chapter, it's the story of Elijah. Elijah has just had a major victory on Mount Carmel, right? He's, he stood up against King Ahab and, and the prophets of Baal, and God has proved himself to be so strong, and, and, and the people there, the crowds there, have, have, they've rallied around Elijah, and it's been a banner day, a huge day, an epic day. And, and then what happened was... King Ahab's wife Jezebel said, Elijah, not real happy about what you've done. I'm going to have you killed. Really, God has just proven himself to be epic strong. And, and at the words of one angry woman, Elijah goes running for his life. I, I, on some levels I can relate. I, I tell you what, there's been moments in my life where one angry woman has caused me to run for my life. Sometimes uh, My mother, sometimes a girlfriend, um, sometimes a grandmother, never a wife, though. Let me just say that. I've never (laughs) ran in fear from my wife, Jody. I just want to make sure that I present that properly. But Elijah runs, and here's what it says in 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 3. It says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. It's important to note. When he came to Beersheba, Elijah, even when he's running for his life, his servant is running with him. That's a mark of a friend. The mark of a friend is when they will stay with you in the tough times. It's also when they will celebrate with you in your victories. When they'll stay with you in tough times and when they'll celebrate with you in your victories. And Elijah's servant was there with him in the victorious time. He was also there in the difficult time. But as they get to Beersheba, Elijah tells his servant, just stay here. And Elijah runs on. He runs on alone. It says this, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert and he came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Here's Elijah's conversation with the Lord. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread that had been cooked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah, all by himself in a cave in the middle of the wilderness, says this, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty and the Israelites. They have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. When we're isolated, we tend to lose perspective. And Elijah is in that moment. Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. I might as well just go eat worms. God, I've done everything that you've asked me to do, but I am no better than my ancestors. You might as well just kill me now. Because they've killed everybody else, and and I'm the only one left. God responds to Elijah, and he says, Elijah, first of all, here's the plan. You're going to go back the way that you came, You're going to anoint Elisha because I've already got one who's ready to come in and step in behind you when your journey is done. And I'm going to carry you and I'm going to keep you. And oh, by the way, Elijah, you think you're the only one. Uh, no, son. There are thousands but this idea of isolation, it causes us to lose perspective. It, it also causes us to lose faith. That's the reason why the Word of God says this. It says, encourage one another and, and, and build each other up, even as you're in the habit of doing. Right? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement, endurance and encouragement, endurance and encouragement, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves. You're designed to do life together.